the thoughts we have in our head are the only things we can control. That is it. You can control nothing else around you. The only point of power is the thoughts that you think. And so if you know this and you want a really good life, you got to control your thoughts and it's fun to do. And so that's a thought revolution to me. Media personality and talk radio show host Sean Prue has a great big heart and he shares a piece of it with us here on the Free Your Inner Guru podcast. When we sat down to record, we had a list of topics and found that neither one of us felt like speaking about anything other than our thoughts and feelings about current events this week with the loss of two highly talented creators like Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. Sean opens up about his own experience living a public life and what led him to create the thought revolution, not just for himself, but his dedication to sharing the power of living with intention with others. Welcome to Free Your Inner Guru. My name is Laura Tucker, your host, and here today I'm welcoming Sean Prue. Sean is a friend and he hosts the weekly Sirius XM talk show, The Sean Prue Show, on Canada Talks, channel 167. And before he became the media and entertainment personality he is today, Sean has a varied background. He spent eight years in finance, he achieved significant success before the age of 30, at which point he realized that he wasn't passionate about what he was doing with his time or his life, at which point he made some big decisions. And we're here to talk about Sean's journey today from financial advisor in his early 30s to what he's doing now. And we've got some big, we've both had what we would call an interesting week and we want to share a conversation inspired by current events. And, uh, and so Sean, just welcome to the podcast. Let's, uh, let's introduce you to the audience. Hello. Thank you so much. Um, I, I'm <clears throat> listening to the intro you gave me, the very nice intro you gave me. Thank you. And, uh, and I, I, I smile to myself because you say I achieved significant success in finance and, and, um, and, and I think about that and I wonder whether I, I did because the success that I achieved there was certainly monetary um, and certainly success because I failed grade 10 math. <laughs> so I really had no business telling people what the numbers meant. Um, but, uh, I, you know, uh, the, the, the week that we've had, uh, includes, uh, that, that awful news about Kate Spade, um, committing suicide and, and people really reacted to that. And then today, as we, on this taping day of yours, uh, Anthony Bourdain, uh, we find out he also committed suicide. And so it just sort of dovetails really nicely with what I know we're going to talk about. Um, the idea of what, what is success um, and the idea that a lot of people uh, are living by uh, societal society's idea of success. And that's not good enough. And I think a lot of people question how could people like Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain die by suicide because they seem to have it all, right? Glamour, uh, the illusion of happiness, money, fame, um, freedom, and a life of fun, and, and billions of other people out there don't have any of that. Aren't they happy? 
And, you know, I'm in the happy business, so I'm, I'm so happy to be here and, uh, and talk about this today. I, I found this morning when I turned on the television, and given that the date is, this is uh, Friday, June the 8th, so we're right in the aftermath of a significant election where Sean and I live. So I turned on the news expecting to, um, to be discour- feeling discouraged by the election result. And then when I read on the ticker about Anthony Bourdain, it, it got all of my attention because it's not like I know him personally and I don't often, um, I don't often identify with celebrity, but in, in my perception, given that travel and photography and fine wine and food and, and all of what he does and, and shared in his work is looks like a dream to me from the outside. And it's exactly, you know, what you were just saying. And as I thought about it through the morning, when I was more emotionally affected than I expected, I I came up with, you know, to be at that end of the spectrum and accumulate that kind of success or be able to have that type of lifestyle that's desired by many, including me, what must the contrasting experience be? Mm. You know, you know, what must that inner, um, inner experience be? And Sean, you've made some big changes in your life to follow your heart. And you must have experienced contrast there as well in order to motivate that. Would that be fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I, I have experienced contrast. And I, and I think um, a lot of people uh, don't realize uh, what the, um, the give up is, I'll call it the give up. Um, when you have a public life, for example, privacy, something that we all take for granted a lot, um, becomes um, taken away. Uh, you, can't, uh, you can't do you the way you used to do you anymore. Um, I have experienced that uh, in my career and in my life. And, and you can't normally ha- have some of the normal and we take our normal um, for granted as well. And I, I think one of the, the, the questions um, a lot of people are asking is like, if we know that um, death by suicide uh, is, is, is a mental illness, you're so depressed um, and overwrought, uh, and, and I'm no doctor, but I do know that, that, that you would take your life um, how do you get that when you seem to have all of this? And I think it's still about what we were talking about a minute ago. Who are you playing your, your life for? Are you pay, playing it for yourself and making up the rules for you, in your life? Or are you playing it by society standards? Do you ignore your heart's fondest desires? You know, you talked about um, my successful career in finance. Uh, I was making six figures. I, I, was, I bought a house at 27 on my own. Um, did I want to do that or did I want to have a creative life? And a creative life with all of its contrast, as you said, uh, that's, that's embedded in that. Um, <clears throat> And then a creative life, if you achieve some kind of modicum of success, start, you know, therefore it's a public life suddenly, um, you give up 
so much along the way. So some you never know where your next paycheck is coming from unless you have successfully structured a business, which I, I, I believe I, I have done and do. Um, but then you, you, you still have all kinds of problems that are all yours to manage um, along the way. And so for people who are in a nine to five um, steady paycheck, uh, wish that they had more than two weeks vacation, wish that it, someone else wasn't telling them their value. Um, this other stuff looks really, really good, but it comes with a high price. Everything is, is commensurate, I believe. Um, when you step out, uh, you know, the, the greater the risk, the greater the reward. Uh, so someone like Kate Spade, Anthony Bourdain, um, taking great risks in their life, uh, risks that would, that would scare me in a lot of times. It's not easy being an Anthony Bourdain. It looks fun on TV, uh, but that's not easy. That is not easy. And Kate Spade and all the people she had to count to and all of the pressures that she was under, it might just look like a bag, but there's a lot more behind that bag than, than, than we'll ever know um, that only Kate Spade ever knew. Can you share with us some of your own journey that allows you to identify with this so closely? Of course. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is when I was diagnosed uh, HIV in 2005, um, I lived with that alone as, um, as a matter of privacy, for example. I did not want to become the HIV-positive radio host. I did not want to be the HIV-positive columnist. I did not want to be the HIV anything. Not out of shame. I was very at peace with that. And, and I, I acquired HIV uh, by having sex the same way um, everybody who's ever had sex listening to this has um, at least once <laughs> without a condom, without protection. Um, so there's no shame there. But I just didn't want the label. I just wanted to be Sean. And, you know, years go by and eventually uh, something that you do for privacy begins to carry the weight of a secret. And um, so, so that is a good example of the kind of thing that you just have to manage, that nobody knows you're managing. Um, and when I, when I came out publicly, um, it, it was tied into um, being the chair of that year of the 25th anniversary of the Scotiabank AIDS Walk for Life. And I was doing a lot of work with, um, with the main benefactor uh, of the AIDS Committee of Toronto. And I was around a lot of people who were also HIV positive, and I couldn't believe the stigma and uh, self-imposed and heaped on them by others that, 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 that these people had for being HIV. And like I said, I've had no shame. So I decided to come out because I've got a very good life. I'm the happiest guy I know. And I wanted to, to say to people that you don't, you don't have to be um, stigmatized. And I wanted to, to put a face to someone um, who, who was leading a very good life. When I came out, though, so it was on CBC, <laughs> I nearly bolted from the studio from the live show that I was on. Oh, no. I was, because the weight of a secret is so much, and you realize what you're carrying around. I was so nervous 
to say the words for the first time publicly and I don't get nervous. And, and it was, it was just, it, it really told me, wow, you really were living with something that was powerful within you. And so people with that level of success, that's just a really small example. People with that level of success have a, a lot of that kind of stuff going on all the time. Um, and I also know that as someone with a much smaller business than, than say Kate Spade, that I, and any, any entrepreneur out there who has a team is going to relate to this. You, you carry the burden of other people's rent, other people's mortgages, other people's car payments, other people's everything. And, and, and that, that and that's again, small stuff. Um, I also don't feel uh, that I necessarily get to lead the, um, as a single gay man currently, uh, the, the life of an, a more private single gay man. Um, so that is to say, if I have a gentleman caller, uh, quite frequently, um, uh, they know me. When, when, you know, if it's a, bl if a blind date, uh, they know me. And so you're never sort of like 100% comfortable with, with it doesn't, you don't get to start a relationship on a level playing field. They know who you are, uh, they, they, you don't know them, and there's a trust issue that comes up suddenly. What can I say? What can I do? Who can I be? And you don't get to be yourself. That's, that's mm -hmm. it. You don't get to be yourself. You know, and that's I so interesting. But there's your answer. You don't get to be yourself. This is so fresh for me. Just a couple of days ago, I went and did um, an interview for another podcast. And, uh, and this is very, very new and very uncomfortable for me. Not going on another podcast. I love getting out and talking to people. Mm. But it's it was more, and even when I went on your show last year, we've since discovered and, and talked that, it was what it's the actual talk that's not that's fine it's fun it's great but then when I walk in the door and they say something to me like oh we've been all over your website and been listening to your podcast for hours we feel like we we know you and then it, and then the immediate reaction is well what do you think you know you know it's almost a um an automatic yes. defense yes. that goes up because it's until I become comfortable with this and just assume that, hey, this is going to be fine. And now I get to ask questions and I get to cultivate that relationship. But there's a, in being visible and some of the choices I've made around visibility, because I too had something I used to try to hide and, you know, which was my shame and experience in the Sedona Sweat Lodge. And, you know, pardon me? talked about on my show totally and that was one of the first times that I had talked about it where somebody was was interviewing me to hear what I what my experience had been and the vulnerability around that is is huge and it brings up all kinds of stuff you say vulnerability and I was just thinking what the the, the fastest way to say what I took a bit of time to say is living vulnerable vulnerably um, people are watching you people are paying attention to you people are judging you and you really have to, like, I used to be an eye contact person walking down the street. I don't look at anybody anymore. Uh, there's a weird thing that goes on um, with, with anything, anyone who's got a job in the public. It doesn't have to be 
and media or entertainment, anyone who's a public figure in any way knows exactly um, what I mean when I say living vulnerably. Um, people grab you uh, and, and start thinking they, they can start talking to you and telling you what they think of things. I, I wrote, I've written things before that have had, um, uh, I've gotten death threats um, over um, not tons of things like that, but you know, and, and, and I certainly would never read the comments section after anything that I wrote or um, that was published somewhere because that in itself is just a slippery slope. Um, even, you know, the good stuff um, is never good enough. <laughs> the bad stuff keeps you awake at night. Keeps you awake at night. And, um, you know, to, 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 to have a, a career that was creative like Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade um, means that they were creatives and creatives are sensitive. And so in, in my line of work, I'm super sensitive. Um, in my line of work, I don't touch any of that stuff at all, you know, because uh, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a weird orbit that they lived in. Um, and and I, feel, I feel for um, both of them. Um, and I, and, and, and that, that idea of, um, but they had it all, uh, keeps playing in my mind a lot today. Um, a lot of people think that, that, that they had it all. I don't think a lot of people are realizing that might have been nothing in the grand scheme of things to them. Well, it speaks to some of what you, uh, you wrote today and, and shared on your blog, which I, I will put links in the show notes here, right back to Sean's website and this beautiful article that he wrote. And, uh, and you said, you get to the state when death seems better than life when you play your life by the rules of others instead of rules you set for you. You get there when you measure your success by society standards, ignoring your heart's fondest desires. I'm talking about how the state of depression or of um, absolute over it. I don't, I've never been so close to wanting to kill myself to properly you describe uh, it. But to be there... Uh, you have to have uh, day by day, thought by thought, action by action, just drained yourself to the point where you, the best thing you could do for yourself is to, to kill yourself because we always choose the things in life that are going to make us feel better. And uh, you know, everything we want in life is because we think we'll feel better. And when what will make you feel better is to end your life. That's... Um, that's a place of arrival that you get to and you are not living life your way. Um, and certainly I'm, I'm not uh, negating other things like um, chemical imbalance. I'm not negating all the different components of it. Um, but I find that, um, you know, you talk about my example of working in finance. I said I was making six figures. When I left my first year I made $15,000 and that was not through creative work that was through a bit of creative work but that was through side jobs and and um, and then I had had a, a cushion I had about a six month seven month cushion so I had that um, but a lot of people would not have done what I did they would have stuck with the first option of staying in finance and 
making six figures. I have um, recently interviewed a workplace expert who estimates that only 25% of people uh, who hold jobs um, love their jobs. Anything after that, um, you know, there's that middle section where they're okay with it, it's good. And then there's the, the section of hate their jobs. But uh, to me, I gotta love what I'm doing every single day. My dad died in front of me when I was 17 and I've only come recently to realize the impact uh, that that had on me because he was 49 years old at the time. I'm 49 now. And I, 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 I don't know why it took me so long because I've lived so much of my life now from the standpoint that tomorrow is not a promise. Uh, but I didn't realize, duh, when you see your dad die in front of you, maybe that has something to do with it. But, you know, we take for granted that tomorrow is a guarantee. And... I don't want uh, to die and have a single regret. And I can tell you, beyond a shadow of a doubt, um, that staying in finance, because it, it was pleasing to everybody, um, sounds good on a business card, you know, vice president, this is who I am. Um, your mother's pleased, your partner's pleased, your bank accounts pleased uh, you can go out and buy things you think you're pleased you know i bought something laura once a day in finance i went shopping once a day i came home with a pretty bag every single day and i realized um when i was looking at this activity this habit this crutch this uh tonic this self-medication that i was doing that I couldn't do that anymore because tomorrow is not a promise. And there were things I was good at. I had only ever been good at a couple things. I'm a good communicator, writer, uh, speaker. Uh, I, I was good on stage. Um, and so I wanted to be the things I was good at. And that made me joyful every day. And I've come to realize that, we're here for joy. We're here for joy. Nothing less will do. And you're not your job title. You're not the dollar figure in your bank account. You're not where you live, who you wear, or what the, what school your kids go to. You, you are here to be joyful. So you would, would you describe then your state over your state overall is, is one of joy. I can look back at the trajectory of my life since I made the move that I did uh, and tell you that on the whole, I have led a joyful life, even when the chips were down. And, and I don't have a, uh, a quiet life by any means. Um, and and there's, there's difficulties and challenges all the time, like everybody. But I think a lot of people... Um, uh, they look at their trajectories they have not been happy I've had a life that's rich in adventure experience I have met my heroes so I'm getting choked up just tell you that I have, I have made my dreams come true and then some and, and the best part of making your dreams come true is that then you stand um, at this new vista 
where you can look out and decide what's mm. next. This is so, I think there's two things here that I want to uncover with you. And because I find myself saying this to people, you know, we don't have to know, um, and, and by people, I mean myself as well, because I require a certain amount of self-talk. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but I think sometimes we get paralyzed by not knowing what the end looks like, you know, and, and it's not until we take, um, until we take action that's in alignment. I know you and I both like talking about what alignment is, aligned action. Can we, can we shift a bit into that for a bit? As far as somebody's listening to this, this is two people here who are usually all rah, rah, and, <laughs> and, you know, and are in quite a thoughtful, um, serious mode at the moment. Mm-hmm. When you, can you remember a time where you were looking at what the next step was and, and you were afraid? Um, my husband left me and he, um, uh, there was not a lot of warning. Let's just put it that way. It was very, Carrie Bradshaw posted note for sex in the city people out there. Um, a very unexpected thing. And he was also my business manager at the time. So I was down a, a husband and down a business manager. And I didn't know how I was going to uh, heal on an emotional level and keep my business going, bearing in mind that everything I do, all the content I put out, the radio show, web stuff, speaks, is all based on um, the idea that happiness is the truth. And, and so I don't, I don't write a lot or speak a lot about bad news and stuff. I'm in the happy business. So, so I'm, I got to keep my happy business going. Um, as well as, uh, and from the business standpoint. So he was making things happen, deals, money, he was bringing things in. So how am I going to get all that going? And that's, that's the one example I can recall when I felt some fear for a minute. Um, but I don't, I don't dabble in fear too, too much. Um, but I, I, I had to get in alignment when I felt that fear for sure. How do you know when you're um, in alignment versus being out of alignment? Uh, your emotions. Your emotions are, are your inner guidance system. Your emotions are your GPS. Uh, when you are feeling negative emotion, that is your GPS telling you you are thinking thoughts that do not match up or not in alignment of, with who you really are because who you really are is already enjoying the solution that you have created when you, when you noticed the problem. So when I knew I was down with Patrick, uh, having left me in more ways than one, I was down, I felt the negative emotion of fear, what am I going to do? Um, and uh, my alignment was to begin to have thoughts that were real and not Pollyanna, yippee skippy, but to soothe myself out of that fear. So I like the idea of a solution coming out of my way. I, I like the idea of this working out. Things always work out for me. And just talking to myself like that, that's the way the guy who has the solution coming to him on that problem is thinking, not in fear. 
And so I thought by thought by thought, I, I worked my way back into alignment. Alignment is just keeping up with yourself because every time you, you, you see something, like you had to desire something or a problem comes or whatever, you've created the solution or the manifestation of what it is you want. And so you have to think the thoughts of the person who has that. And then that's when the matchup happens and the solution or the desire manifests. And so that's all alignment is. And, and I, um, I believe in that with my whole heart and, and back to Kate and Anthony, there, there must've been so much malalignment in their lives. Someone who does what they did is not aligned at all. I know myself when, when I am not in alignment, sometimes it can be very, very confusing. You know, for, for example, that um, in my business, I love what I do. I love serving the people that I coach. I love getting out and speaking. I love podcasting. And every single time I'm in the action of doing it, I know it's the right thing because I feel great while I'm doing it. And I think that, and I see this in other people too, there are various aspects of the business that I don't love so much. So then I look at how am I feeling while I'm doing that, noticing that maybe the way I'm doing it just isn't for me. So getting creative and finding ways to do that, that's, that's all a part of the creativity of a business too. Yeah, and I, and I also have come to understand, and this is very soothing for me, that when you're creating something, you know, the, 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 it's not a platitude. The joy is in the ride. And the ride, you didn't want a smooth ride. Can you imagine if every street had no corner, no turn, no hill, and you're driving? You, you know, you want, you came here to get your hands in the molding of the clay, and, and that's messy stuff. But boy, does it ever feel good getting clean again. But boy, does it ever feel good getting back in that clay again. And, and, and so I think people label um, parts of the ride that they don't like wrong or, or, mm-hmm. or we use the word should. This should not be this way. Um, and without that contrast, you don't have anything measurable in terms of feeling. You, and that means that you don't know what you like and what you don't like. And when you, when you know what you don't like, well, as soon as you say you don't like that, you sort of create, there's a solution. The world is now, this is a yes-based world. The law of attraction is the, the, the manager of the world, just like gravity is the ma- ma- manager of us all staying down on the ground. Uh, and, and it goes into um, fast mode. It conspires in your favor to create the agent for you or the assistant for you or whatever, and, and, and someone in alignment lines up with that, and someone out of alignment does not. But the point is, when you have that, if you can, if you can attain that, your business that you want to grow just got that bigger and better, uh, and you get the speaking gigs you love and more of them because of the um, thing you saw that you did not like. So we have to take those things that we don't like and appreciate them because those are the things that give birth to the uh, improvements in our lives. It's not the things that we love that we want to improve. We love them. 
it's the things we don't like. So we have to bless the things we don't like. Absolutely. And and I like I like um taking a spirit of experimentation to it, that nothing is written in stone because that gives you the opportunity to say, hey, this way is not for me. I'm going to find another way. Yeah. You know, you, you go to the buffet at a, a, you know, with the sneeze guard on it. You, you don't, you, and you see beets, pickled beets. You don't want them. You don't sit there going, oh my God, the pickled beets, the pickled beets. You just don't, you just, you don't take it. You don't take it. Do you know what I mean? I totally, I totally know what you mean. Can I tell you a story, which is no. hilarious and sad at the same time? Oh, God. So, it, it, you know what? This is the week for a good laugh and a good cry. I won't absolutely. Say. So, so when you're talking about not eating the pickled beets, and this is, I was probably, oh, gosh, 12 years old. I was at a friend's place, and, um, and, they had olives out at the table with a whole family gathering over. And so I went to the family gathering. I was there playing at the house. And in front of a whole room of adults, I was offered olives. And I was pretty darn sure that I didn't like olives. And then got pressured and pressured and pressured and that, you know, to try the olive, try the olive. And fundamentally, I think I'm a pleaser. So the, <laughs> imagine, imagine the 12-year-old version of me. So I capitulated, took the thing that I knew I didn't like, and just about gagged on it in front of all these people who thought it was hilarious. But to this day, I remember it whenever someone is saying to me, try this, try this, you'll like it, you'll like it. Um, that pressure that was building up in my body that I didn't listen to that day, much to the entertainment of, you know, a, a clan that wasn't mine. I remember that now. And anytime I feel that similar feeling, it's like, thank you, but no. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, so, so, I mean, the, the little kid in you could have been someone who's like, well, I'm only sticking to what I know. Or I'm never, but but you 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 took that and you realize that that's your inner guidance system and to always trust that. And I love a woman who uses the word capitulating and clan in the same sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I think. <laughs> well, that's what it was. I mean, it was so much. It was a full blown because um, you've got to know me a little bit now. Now you can imagine how stuck in I could get if I if I. <laughs> if, I, if I wanted to. Well, and shame on those adults because what adults, and I, ha I have an olive story. It's not just similar to yours. I tried it. I didn't like it. Everyone thought it was funny, but you don't offer the, ch the child's taste buds are not developed enough to enjoy the olive. Now today I like an olive. Do you like an olive? No. Lifelong. <laughs> <laughs> I love an nice olive. <laughs> that, that's that's how stressful that was for me <laughs> right <laughs> but um so so this is we both like to talk about this inner guidance system yes. you talk about it within your thought revolution i uh, talk about it as our inner guru can you yes. tell us can you share with with me and and the listeners what your the thought revolution means to you Oh, the Thought Revolution, and it's funny that we're coming around this way, um, was something that I um, came up with after I came out with uh, my uh, HIV um, 
I'm undetectable, by the way. It's not, I'm not even HIV positive anymore. It's undetectable, which is a whole different other thing. But I, I said something in the interview that hit home for countless people. I got so many emails, letters, tweets, posts. The people at CBC were like, this is such a powerful thing that you said. I saw HIV uh, as a metaphor for all the beating up that we do to each other and to ourselves, fat hips, divorced, low bank balance, not successful enough, all of the, the shaming that we do. Uh, and I, I, I was talking about that and that I thought it was time that we stop stigmatizing our humanity. Um, and the words thought revolution came out because I, I know that I'm a, I'm a, I didn't, I'm a high school dropout. I've got no college education. I'm not trained in any of the things that I do for a living. And I know that the only thing I've ever done uh, that has proven to be consistently successful is that the thoughts I think on the subjects that are important to me create the reality around the subjects that are important to me. And we can break our lives down into, you know, four quadrants, I guess you would call it. Uh, money, health, general well-being, and relationships. And I'm good in some subjects and I'm not so good in other subjects. And, and in those subjects, when I have turned my thoughts into aligned thoughts on the subject, that subject improves. And science measures our thoughts in uh, hertz, they call it. And positive thoughts emit higher hertz than negative thoughts. And thoughts are vibrational in nature and vibration attracts vibration and everything is vibration and vibration has to attract matching vibration. So you literally, and everything is vibrational, color, sound, the chair you're sitting on, everything is vibrational. And so if you understand that and you want a really good life, and I do, you realize that you want to have a thought revolution about the subjects that are important to you. You want to tend to your garden every day and think the thoughts that make you feel really good. And if you're thinking thoughts about a subject that make you feel awful, you're waiting for that check to arrive, you're waiting for that partner to come, you're waiting for that new job, or you're waiting for that awful boss to go, you are not thinking thoughts that are serving you. We terrorize ourselves with our thoughts. And we're terrible to ourselves with our thoughts. And our life is indicative of what we're thinking. You can, you listening to this right now, know where you think well and know where you think poorly on the subjects that are important to you. And the thoughts, the thoughts we have in our head are the only things we can control. That is it. You can control nothing else around you. The only point of power is the thoughts that you think. And so if you know this, 
and you want a really good life, you got to control your thoughts and it's fun to do. And so that's a thought revolution to me. And I like the word revolution. Um, said that in the interview and it stuck. It stuck and it became the basis of, 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 um, of my work is to think, it's not Pollyanna, yippee, skip, skippy, positivity stuff, but you cannot have negative thoughts, negative emotions, and expect a great life. You just can't. And um, you know people around you who complain a lot, and their life matches that. And then they complain some more, and their life matches that. And then you know people who seem to have it all, uh, and their life is one because they felt the thoughts that they're thinking um, that match that life. What do you do? What do you do to cultivate that, Sean? I think you know the practical aspect of this is that you know it's it's one thing to 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 sit and and talk about it, but it quite another to to live it, and maybe easier for some than others. It's actually a lot about what we were talking about, you know, with um, Spade and Bourdain. Um, you're living your life for you, as far as I'm concerned. And if you're not, uh, you need to really step back and think about that. Because that's um, what happens when you're not living your life. you got to live your life for you. So let's just make that the basis. Um, and I'm in it to win it. Be in it to win it. And if, if the, people have tuned out by now, if they're not interested in this, I'm going to just assume everybody by this point is interested in living the life, the best life that they possibly can. So if you're in it to win it like I am, you make the commitment to yourself. Uh, you're no good to your children and to your career and to your friends and to the things that matter to you if you don't fill yourself up every day. And so uh, most days of mine begin by um, tuning my dial. Um, and, and it's very simple. I, I'm a journaler, and I suggest you become a journaler too if you're not. Get a, a nice pad, pen, and make it a daily ritual that you write down the things that you're appreciating in life, the things that you're eagerly anticipating. Write down the things that you love. Make a love list every day. Um, appreciation has such a high vibration that it is the closest thing to love. And so if you are in a state of appreciation, you are vibrating in such a way that you attract more to appreciate. A lot of people say, well, you know what? Show me the money, Sean, and then I'll appreciate. And mm -hmm. it's the other way around. The universe totally. wants to appreciate it. Start appreciating. When, when, when I first started doing this, and I've been doing this for, for as long as I've been, when I left finance, I started doing this because I was so committed to um, this career to be, if I was going to leave a six-figure job, I was not going to, can we swear on this podcast? You betcha. Fuck it up. I was not going to fuck it up. You know, <laughs> by hook or by crook, I was going to do well. Um, but I credit things like this because when you um, focus, and we're really just powerful focusing mechanisms, that's it. When you focus on things that are going well in your life, your life hands you more. Uh, when you focus on the crap in your life, you notice you get a little bit more crap. And that's all that vibrational stuff. So I, I make it a habit, 
And when, when I first started doing this, I, I could not believe, I felt like the wealthiest man in the world. Uh, it, it, you start to look around you and you see the abundance and the prosperity that you have. And the first few times I was doing this, I felt a little ashamed that it had all this stuff and I didn't know. And stuff from everything from maybe the, the, the obvious things like the trip, the home, the dog, but small things, small moments. And, and they begin to light up around you. And, and, and I'm a bit jealous if anyone is about to start this because they think it might be some good advice. It's really good advice, by the way. Because you're, you're going to really get into that groove. And, and now I've been in it for so long that it's just, it's just my life. But I do that um, religiously. And when I don't do that on those days, I don't have the best day. I couldn't comparatively. And it sounds maybe a little yippy-skippy, I know. But if you start tuning your dial every day into a mode of appreciation, you will change your life. At night, it's a similar exercise, although at night I'm too tired, so I don't do a whole page of journaling. But I do do um, uh, uh, just five bullet points. Of, I, I would just write loving and then a bunch of things. And what that does when you end your day in appreciation, the subconscious mind is in that zone. And then when you sleep in your slumber, you, you, you stay in that zone. Go to bed with worries on your mind, you wake up with worries on your mind. So what you're trying to do is take your state and keep it in a place of appreciation. Another thing I do is, uh, you know, if you're walking your dog, uh, or you're stuck on the subway or whatever, rampage of appreciation. Rampage of appreciation. If you can um, be walking your dog and look around at, at the things that are pleasing to you, the, 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 the soft breeze, the touch of the sunshine on you, uh, the father kissing his daughter goodbye over at that school over there, um, the, the, the anticipation you're feeling about the weekend. If you can do that, for 17 seconds, 17 seconds is all you need. You change your uh, set point of attraction. That's all you need to do. That's, that's another process. There's, there's a lot on um, SeanCrew.com as well, but I, um, I've come to find that, that you've you got to make the decision that this is my one life and I'm living it well and, um, and I'm, going to, I'm going to be responsible for my orbit and part of responsible for my orbit for me as well. This one was a hard one to learn was to be very in charge of the people that are allowed in it. There's soul mm -hmm. suckers, there's emotional vampires. There's uh, there, there aren't enough uplifters. You look around your orbit. There are probably some people who have to go and it seems um, cold and harsh and stuff like that, but I'm not one to buy into. We've been friends since kindergarten stuff at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> Sentimentalism. It's not a reason to keep someone who is a friend of me in your is life. This, is this another situation where you, you, this is where tuning into how you're feeling while you're being with somebody into that inner Absolutely. GPS Absolutely. or while you're thinking about them or, or, um, while you're interacting with them? Yeah, it, it's, um, it's definitely, how are you feeling? And, and if you're, you're, if you're meeting someone for drinks all the time, and all they do, and we've all had this one, all they're doing is telling you what's going on in their life, their problems, their experience, their thoughts, their ideas. And then, then, then they leave and you leave 
and you walk along and you can honestly say that they know nothing more about you than they did before the coffee date, that you know so much more about them. Get rid of them. Get rid of them. They're just using you as, as, a, as a sounding board. They're not friends. There's no value there. Get rid of them. It doesn't have to be mean. Just don't, just don't see them again. Um, you're, you're making me think of the idea that every relationship is a, an energy exchange. Yes. Right? Absolutely. So we Absolutely. get together. You and I get together. We're relatively new to each other. But from the day that we got together for our first coffee lunch, we sat down. And I know I, and I certainly hope you, and suspect you wouldn't be here if you didn't, leaving <laughs> that, that meeting, we, I felt better than I did going in. And I wasn't feeling well, bad in the first place. No, no. And I, and, and recently we had drinks and it was such a, it was such a, it was a tonic. And I'm not sure where I was in my day, but it was so fun. I had such a good time and I left feeling good. You want the people in your life to make you feel good. It's not too much to ask or expect of a relationship of anything. In fact, that's what we all deserve. Show me your friends. Show me the people in your life. I'll show you your future. Uh, you want to surround yourself with people who inspire you, who make you feel good, who uh, are easy to be with, who, ins- who, you know, I've had a divorce, I've had a marriage, I've had uh, uh, times in my life, I mentioned death threats, where I couldn't leave my apartment for six days. You find out fast in crises like these who your friends are, who the first responders are. And, um, you know... I am a loyal guy and I'm a good guy and I'm a good friend. And I expect that from every relationship. And there are too many people. And you go back to Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain and, and, and you asked me at the beginning about, you know, how, how might I relate to them? You don't know how many people I learned this in a painful way over and over again, because sometimes I don't learn fast. Um, or no, sometimes I'm, I'm, I believe in, in people too much. Um, how, if you're useful to people, and being in media, I am, they, they don't necessarily do this in a conniving, deliberate way, but, but people are friendly and become your friend and, and, uh, and, and treat you in a, in a lovely way as long as you can do something for them. Once you've got no use for them, uh, to them, uh, uh, they're not. They, they don't show up for you anymore, mm-hmm. and and that's an example of uh, of, uh, of of why I go, why I guard my orbit, but also mm-hmm. something that I'm sure Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain would have experienced in Spades. It's it's very very funny how um, when when you've got some sort of measure of influence, um, how many people you think are your friends that are not. Well, and also it occurs to me that that path is a very, very lonely path. Mm -hmm. And the feeling that in terms of keeping up with all of the pressures of position and everybody has pressures of position. It doesn't matter if you're famous or not. It's pressure to provide, like you were saying earlier, it's pressure to show up. And we know that we are the sum of what we do and, and, and feel most of the time. Nobody's perfect. But what anytime I hear about this, it, where I feel sad is, is that 
how lonely that must be that people don't feel that they can, and maybe they did turn to someone for help. But when you're in that position, who do you turn to? How, how do you put up a cry for help? And I think if there's anything that I want to come out of our conversation today, it's that, you know, people it, know that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to have to, you know, to give yourself permission to be, to be guarded when you need to and, and be vigilant about where you spend your time, but also finding a safe place. I um, will also like. I will also add to what you're saying that the people that you think in your life are strong that you admire are often the ones that are the loneliness loneliest and have no one to turn to because everyone understands them to be strong and admirable. And uh, I know, for example, one of my um, Friends, closest friends, stood up for me at my wedding friends, wasn't really there for me when I got divorced. And we were having drinks and she said that. She said, I don't think that, I, I don't think I was there for you the way I should have been. And she said, you just, you just seem to have it all together and you, you, know, uh, you know, you've got people and you've got this. I thought you had this. I thought you had it. And... So, so Bourdain and a spade uh, didn't get to where they were, where they got to, by being anything but strong, by exhibiting courage. Um, so, so they're seen a certain way, and power. And 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 another thing, my friend said to me is, I thought, I thought you had your tribe. I said, you're a part of my tribe. You're my tribe. I don't have a big tribe, you know. And you know, when when you've got that tribe, and everyone's thinking that you've got something. Um, someone to turn to, but you don't because no one's reaching out because they don't reach out because they think someone else has reached out. You end up being very, very lonely. And um, I've experienced that an awful lot um, because I am a strong person. I do have courage, but at the same time, I'm someone, um, and this is something a, a little shift, but uh, I don't get invited to a lot of places um, because everyone thinks I've got something on the go. Because I lead a life that, that has a lot of travel, uh, a lot of, uh, you know, social media world, a little bit, you know, I'm meeting all these exciting people. I'm having all these amazing people on my show. I'm with this celebrity, that person. And so it seems very, but I don't do anything on the weekends. And, and, and I, I'm, I, if I want to reach out to someone and do something, I will. I like my own company. Um, that's all good, but my phone does not ring off the hook. And so we have misconceptions about strong people. Absolutely. Yeah, we do. I recall years, years after, um, my whole, um, my, the whole tragedy and trauma around uh, the sweat lodge. I, I was living away from my family at the time. And after I moved back to Toronto, I, one somebody in my family was really having a tough, tough go. And of course I was there to support and had a lot of empathy. And I mean, the low, the, the bottom was of that experience was very low for me and for it to see someone that I loved in an equally um, difficult place was heartbreaking. And so I could have a lot of empathy, not just because I'm empathic, but because I've had the experience. And 
he turned to me and he was like, but Laura, you don't get it. You're so strong. You got through everything. I'm so, I'm embarrassed coming to you. You got through everything that you needed to do. And I just looked at him and I can't even imagine the look on my face. I was like a gape. Yeah. And, and he was like, what? And I was like, oh my goodness, you have no idea the amount of support that I needed. And just because we, you, we weren't, you weren't there physically, yeah. it was much tougher to lean on you and the tribe here during that time because I, I needed intensive support. Yeah. So, you know, the grass is always greener. It is, you know, but there's also cultivated perception and, and what we, like I don't go out on social media and post, oh, I'm having a horrible day because I can't stand it when other people do. And that's not the way to get meaningful no, support. That, that's, that's, that's how I operate as well. But, you know, I have a friend and uh, uh, someone who's so dear to her um, had a stroke and some heart attacks and, uh, and is uh, in a coma and is going to be in a terrible place for uh, quite some time. Um, she's a very strong woman. But um, I've checked in on her several times this week. And that's just the way uh, I operate. And so, you know, back to things like divorce, there's no, there's no bitterness about it, but I don't, the people that did not think to even say anything, reach out, some of them were at the wedding, didn't even call. <laughs> Going back to what I said, I, that's not good enough. And, and while I see them and I'm happy to see them, I ran into the bar, I'd have drinks with them and stuff like that. I do not so I do not spend my my precious precious time um, with them anymore because uh, you have to open your life up to allow the new people in. It's a little bit of an edit um, that way, and I don't wish them poorly at all. There's no resentment. It's just like we're in different places. We operate different ways, and the beauty is that is that slowly but surely, slowly but surely, who is surely, slowly but surely. <laughs> Um, amazing people come into your life that are a match and you can look at them and go huh and, and, and pursue you a bit and um, you know I've, I've, I've made some really quality friends that teach me things um, that lead and that, that check in on you and that care and that exchange ideas and that appreciate you and don't want anything from you Sean, do you consider, um, you used one of my words there, you used lead. Do you consider yourself a leader? Yes. What makes you a leader? I think um, I come by it naturally. There's not a, a way, my mom used to say when I was a little boy, Sean, stop bossing all the kids around and telling them how to play. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, I, I think that uh, there are people who lead and there are people who follow and some people come to, into it naturally and I don't know any other way. The leader has to assume the most risk. Anthony Bourdain, Kate Spade. Um, the, the leader has to be the first person on the dance floor. Um, and, and that's just, I'm that guy. Um, but I did uh, say recently, potential business partners about something and that was my idea, my concept. But um, after we were all excited about it, I said, it's important to me that you understand I can't be the leader on this. Um, what happens next 
I need you guys to decide and let me just participate as one third, not to keep the, 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 the ball rolling. Um, but I, uh, yeah, I'm a leader. What do you think are the most important qualities of somebody in a position of leadership? Intention. That they know what their intention is. Vision. Uh, that they can see the end result, that they have a vision, and that that vision matches the intention. Uh, courage, um, and to, to make sure people understand what courage is. Courage isn't something that you were born with or that you have. It's what you, uh, that you get when you've done what scared you. Mm. You did it on the other side. You don't go into it with courage. You go into it scared and you come out and then... You, you do that. You can do that. You're a leader. And the ability to get people on side, to see uh, the vision, to understand why the vision will benefit them and to inspire them. Um, and the ability to um, be alone and be lonely. Mm. Because... It's the, those who are led that are out having the good time. The great, there's a great um, moment in Madonna Truth or Dare after one of her Blonde Ambition concerts and everyone's out partying and she's alone. Madonna's alone. And, you know, no, no one is, because she's Madonna. Of course she's got so she's got company she's busy she no, she's not just alone no one has thought to to bring her and she knows she's got a business to go back and run and and she's in charge of tomorrow night's concert she's gone back and done that you know i saw that movie when it first came out and i still i remember that moment clearly mm -hmm. uh, i saw that movie and that was my very first crush it was on um the dancer slam who had the long dark hair and he looked like a, a Calvin Klein obsession model and I saw I'm friends with one of Madonna's other Blind Ambition dancers and they did a follow-up to Blind Ambition and, and uh, Slam came out as HIV positive in the in the new documentary and it turned out he just found out he was HIV when when Blind Ambition started the tour started just used baby and so i flew and i got in touch with him through my friend kevin and flew to new york and i met him and i interviewed him for my show about his journey with hiv and it was for a world aid say special to have the joy of meeting my first crush from the Madonna Blood Admission they hanging out. That, that's the best of the best of the best when you decide not to follow everybody's rules, uh, not to measure success by everyone else's standards, the house, the family. Now, if this is success for you, that's fine. But if it's not, go out and do the stuff because... What, I, what I've noticed is that life rewards you with these moments that I call signposts or pats on the back or the path lighting up where they're just, it's just saying to you, 
We're doing a really good job. You're doing, I get choked up. You're doing a good job. You are on the right path. Keep going. And I've had so many of those moments. Um, and they're, 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 they mean nothing to anybody, but they mean so much to me. When I came, well, I, would, I would have a childhood where in high school I was bullied so badly. And then I would come home and my dad's alcoholism was always in full force. And the bridge between those two, the moment of peace was the young and the restless. And in 2008, I found myself on the set of the young and the restless. And there I am in Genoa City with Captain Chancellor on the couch, Sue Jack Abbott on the couch. Uh, I'm friends with Michelle Stafford, who plays Michelle Phyllis, played Phyllis. Um, and to have that as part of my life is what you get when you do life by your own rules and, and, and talking about Bourdain and, um, and, and getting in that mindset when you're so unhappy that you, the only thing that will make you happy is ending your life is you came here to be happy. And, um, and, and I think that we measure happiness incorrectly. Uh, Bourdain and Spade had fame and money and glamour and power and all the right things so that we're all going, why would they commit suicide? I don't think that's how you measure success. I think you measure success by understanding that we have this now moment. Like this now moment when Laura Tucker and Sean Pru are talking, this is, all, this is all that's real right now. That's it. The past is over. Future hasn't happened. If you're living in the past, you're going to feel depressed. If you're living in the future, you're going to feel anxious. So you have just this now moment. And if you check in as you hear this and ask yourself, and your heart will tell you, am I happy in this now moment? And if the answer is frequently yes, that's success. If it's not, you have to start making the changes in your life, small ones, and you have to stop giving a flying fuck what the people around you think and living your life for them. Because if you, life is just a string of this now moments. It's just a string of moments together. And if you can spend most of that time saying that I am, yes, I am happy, then you have lived a life of success and you will go anywhere near the place that Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain had to go. Uh, I'm very passionate about that because I think we all have the right to feel that if we died today, we would be with no regrets and satisfied. And I can say that I've lived a life beyond my fondest dreams. And uh, it's my fondest wish that anybody listening to this would... Uh, would experience that as well. I get emotional about this stuff because we get one life and uh, what a shame because tomorrow's not a promise uh, to waste a minute of it. Sean, thank you <laughs> so much. Thank you for sharing your heart with us. You're most welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and First of all, I love you. I love you too. I got to tell you, I love you. And I love, I love your courage for coming on here, mm -hmm. for being so incredibly real, for demonstrating um, the strength of vulnerability. Mm. 
Thank you. And I hope that anyone listening today who can answer yes most of the time, yes. that you can walk away with a deep sense of gratitude. And if the answer is no most of the time, that you will reach out to somebody, no matter how isolated that you may feel in this at times in moments, there are people who want to hear your story and who want to share and support. And I think what I'll do, given the turn that this conversation had I, in the show notes, I'm going to put some numbers for some helplines. I'm going to put a link to the article you wrote this morning. It's absolutely beautiful. And, um, and I also... I want to encourage anyone who is listening today and is moved by this to leave a comment on the episode and start the conversation. You're looking at, or well, we're looking at each other, but you're listening to two people who have made some difficult choices in our lives in order to be able to say yes most of the time. And, yeah, and, and I also want to add, if there's that middle zone of, of people who you know, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't say yes. They feel okay, but they would like to feel better. Just start making some changes. You don't have to wait till you're, you're wanting to um, call for help or reach mm -hmm. out. Don't let it get to that point even. If you are in that need, do it. But make your life better. Make your life better. And uh, I feel so blessed. That's, I think, why I get overcome because you start talking about the, 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 the small gems in my life and everything you can be and do and have anything that I know for sure. And, uh, and, and I'm, I'm your proof. And I just would encourage that for everybody. There's nobody that uh, deserves the struggle. Everybody deserves the joy. We came here for the joy. Sean Prue. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining me here. Thank you for sharing your soul with us today. Mm -hmm. Peace. I don't know about you, but I was moved by Sean's candor and vulnerability. And that's what happens when authenticity is coming straight from the heart. If you believe others will benefit from listening to this interview, I invite you to follow the link at the bottom of the episode. If you're listening on iTunes or other podcast applications, follow that link back to our website where you can share and then follow the links over to seanprue.com where you can read the article he wrote this week and explore his thought revolution movement. When I was editing this episode, I was struck by a few things that need attention in my life. Living in alignment isn't just about making dramatic changes when you're at the end of your rope. It's a daily practice. If you would like a way to get started, I invite you to download the Free Your Inner Guru guidebook. It's a collection of questions and exercises that I use, and I give it to my coaching clients as a guide for introspection. You can download it at lauratucker.com forward slash guidebook. Thank you for listening to this episode of Free Your Inner Guru. I know that you have a lot of choice where you receive your inspiration, and I want you to know that I don't take that for granted. Until next time, this is Laura Tucker signing off for Free Your Inner Guru.